Here's what I want to do for our, our for the way today. Uh, I am going to tread a little bit lightly because what I intend to share with you is kind of a big picture of what God wants for us. Now, if we talk about little pieces, uh, that's one thing. But when we kind of scale back and say, now listen, like this is the big purpose of God. This is what God intends. Then we have to do that with a bit of fear and trembling because it's, you know, I'm not God. But I do believe that as we look through Scripture, um, what I want to share with you today is absolutely true um, for what God wants from us, for us, and no matter what we do in the church, um, it should fall under this category, okay? So I'm going to do that with a little bit of fear and trembling uh, because I don't want to mess this up and I don't want, you know... Uh, I don't know, I, my, if so you're not wondering about my social media post, I hit a skunk last night, it was awful, and uh, I was afraid, it was so overwhelming, you know, I put the little, you know, hit the button on my climate control, so I don't, I just recircle, recirculate uh, air, I don't get all fresh air in, because fresh air is a skunk. I was like, nobody's going to stand near me, I'm going to smell like a skunk. Um, so I don't want you to wonder what happened last night, but I, I hit a skunk and I smell bad. And if you're like, I've never smelled a skunk, I don't know who you possibly could be. But if you've never smelled a skunk, there's a red car right over here parked away from everybody else because I didn't want to subject you to my smell. Go walk over there, you'll know what a skunk smells like. Anyways, um, there you go. Uh, I thought it was a possum, uh, but then in about five seconds I realized, oh, that was not a possum. Um, so... But here's what I want to share with you. I want to give some backup scriptures. I'm, I'm going to give you kind of the big picture. I want to I want to share some backup scriptures, and then I want to um, just talk about that for a little bit, um, and then we're gonna we're going to close. The big picture I want to share with you is is um, the title of our our sermon today is the way of engagement. Uh, this is what God wants for us, wants from us, prepares us for, and empowers us for. Um, is the way of engagement, and that is that we are reconciled with God, and we spend our lives showing others the path of that same reconciliation while we seek to be reconciled to each other. Now, that's a big, big picture. Um, I want to I wanna give you some details. I want to share a few scriptures with you. Two primary stories I want us to look at, or two primary passages of scriptures are not technically stories. Um, one is from Paul, where he's going to talk about the ministry of reconciliation. The second is the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus talks about reconciling with others and how important that is in our relationship with God. And then I want to talk a little bit about what that might look like for our church um, as we move forward. So we're going to begin with Matthew chapter 28, beginning with verse 18. Uh, if you've been in the church for any amount of time, you've heard this. This is some of Jesus's parting words to the apostles, and it is a commission that has come to be called the Great Commission because he has said, now as I go, this is what I want for you um, to be about. And Jesus came to them and said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this has become, depending on your background, an incredibly important part about the purpose and cause of the church moving forward. Um, I grew up in a Baptist 
tradition, and this was like, you know, you needed to know the Bible, and you needed to know John 3.16, but after that, you needed to know Matthew 28, 18 through 20. You needed to know these verses. This was what we were about, and uh, and this is absolutely Jesus saying, I have a purpose for you that involves others. But there's a bigger picture even to the Great Commission because those are some parting instructions, but there is a, a whole history behind why this is what Jesus wants us to be about. Now, if you are um, a person that is leading a ministry in our church or somewhere else, um, you may enter in and be completely engaged in this conversation and think, yes, I mean, this is what I'm about, this is what I want to be about. Um, you may be somebody, uh, you know, maybe some of our teenagers or college students in the room and may be thinking, you know, all I'm trying to do is pass and, you know, survive and do those things. But this is your call as a follower of Jesus. Um, some of you may be kind of new in the church and you're walking in and you're kind of afraid we're going to send you out this afternoon and you're going to knock on doors and ask people if they're going to hell or not. We're not going to be doing that. Um, but there is a place um, that we need to let people know we follow a good God. I mean, what we have found something that is worth finding, this treasure that we're willing to give up everything else, as Jesus talks about um, finding a treasure in a field. We're willing to give everything out so we can give away, so we can have this treasure. And once we have that and we live within that reality of this wonderfully good thing that we have with God, this wonderful reality that we get to walk with Him and know Him, our sins are not held against us we have the opportunity for eternal life now and forevermore we we fully are going to spend the rest of our lives living in this reality and we give thanksgiving and praise to god and when we come together and sing we do that and we are super excited about this thing that we found but what can happen is that we begin to be so focused on who god is to us to me that i stop thinking about who is god to us and maybe in some vernacular that we often use, who is God to them? Those who have not seen it, found it, or maybe even won it, who is God for them? But no matter where we are in our faith walk, or no matter what our vocation is, or no matter where we spend our time, if you have found this treasure in Jesus Christ, you have been given instruction to engage the world. And for, for some of us, it's hard for us to engage each other, much less people outside of these walls. And that's something we have to work on because if we're going to follow Christ, He's going to lead us to engage others and engage the world. God intends for us to engage the world by sharing and living out the gospel. In Acts chapter 1, this is what Jesus said also, he said, when you have come together, they asked him. So when they, the apostles in the upper room, had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Still thinking that the purpose of Jesus was to come and to somehow provide them with some kind of military might and to lead this great rebellion that would crush the, the Roman um, you know, the Roman Empire who has completely overtaken Israel and now they're going to be the one and only superpower with Jesus who can literally bring the dead back to life. Uh, he's going to restore this kingdom to Israel. And he says this, It's not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem 
and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. We are witnesses. And one of the most crucial things for a witness, there are really two crucial things for a, to, to be a witness. Number one, you have to have experienced it. Like if you, if you get called to court in order to be witness to an event and you did not witness the event, there's a real problem. The very most important part of being a witness is that you actually witnessed something. Not just you heard about it, but like I experienced it. And for us to be his witnesses, he expects that we have experienced something. Something outside of ourselves. Something outside of the way we naturally do life. Something outside of what I would just do if Mark was just going to do what Mark was going to do. I've experienced something different. There is another way. And it is good. It is good. But the second most important part about being a witness after having witnessed something is to let other people know of that thing you have witnessed. And a lot of times, and I recognize I'm kind of, you know what the pendulum effect is, right? Like something in society or culture or the church or in our own lives, like we kind of start swinging too far to one direction. And rather than kind of going back to the middle where we need to be, we have a tendency to push all the way to the other side. And that's kind of how we give emphasis to bring change. And one of the things that I remember growing up thinking was that the whole point of this faith was heaven when I die. And as I got older and life got harder and, and, and you know, the, the cost of life and just the stakes in life got higher, that's, that ceased to be as important to me because I'm thinking, I'm, I'm super excited that we're going to go rafting on these crystal seas once, whenever we die. But I would really like something to happen right now in my life. Does, it, does anyone else have that struggle within the way they look to the future? That's one of the reasons we come back and we talk about eternal life. Eternal life was not simply meant to be that life after we die that lasts forever. But, but Jesus talked about eternal life like right now. There is this quality of life you experience in knowing and following Jesus. And it's not just making sure you cross your T's and dot your I's to make sure you don't lose your bus ticket to the you know Disney World whenever you die. This perpetual forever Disney World when you die. Instead, there is something about life right now that you receive as, a, as a, just knowing Him and following Him. There's something that you get. And it is good. And you want it. And I believe that's one of the reasons Jesus said, I'm coming for those who are struggling. I'm coming for those who are, who are captive, enslaved, or oppressed, who are sick, who are blind. I'm coming for them because those people are looking for something else. And I really do believe that that's one of the reasons Jesus said it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven. And I don't know everyone's financial situation in the room, but all of us are rich people when we look at what's going on in the world. Now, I, I, I wish I had more. You probably wish you had more. But when we look at what everybody else has, like my air conditioning is going to be working and I am going to have a roof over my head when I leave here. I am not wondering if we're going to have food to eat. If you are wondering if you're going to have food to eat when you leave here, you, you need to come see me. Because one of the things we do is make sure everybody has enough, right? Now, if you need a better car and you've been looking at that Hellcat down the street, I can't help you. I would like for someone to come and help me in that direction. I certainly can't help you in that direction. But if you need to get somewhere, you know, 
let's figure out how we can get you where you need to go. I mean, there's just a part of everyday life that this gospel is supposed to deal with. We talk about how you know we pray as, as the, the Lord taught us to pray, as Jesus taught us to pray in the Lord's Prayer in the Sermon on the Mount. Give us our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. There's a community part of this that part of the problems that I have, you're going to help solve. And part of the problems you have, I'm going to help solve. There's a, there's a community aspect to that. When things begin to fall apart in life and you're all alone, it is way worse than when things begin to fall apart in your life and you have a community of people who say, I am here with you. You will not go through this alone and where I can help, I will help. And that's part of the beauty of this relationship we have, the beauty of this calling to be the church, this beauty of being in a community of followers of Jesus Christ. And so we live fully in that, and we experience that, and we're thankful for that. And so it's always a little, it's boggled my mind that that's, I mean, that's why I'm a Christian. I get to experience Christ. I get to be forgiven for my sins. I get to live in this way that has always been better. But then when we come to approach somebody else to, to, to tell them about this thing, we, we, if we lead with hell, like that's, that's not even the thing we're trying to tell them. And even if that is a reality if in life, that is not the thing we want people to know, right? The thing we want them to know is, like, this is good. This is really, really good. So if you go to your favorite restaurant and like you have your favorite meal, and you just can't wait to go eat it, and you, you you have a friend, and you really want to tell them about this meal, but there was that one time you took the leftovers home and you left them on the kitchen counter overnight, you ate it the next morning, and it tasted terrible, and you got sick. You would not go to tell them about this great restaurant with this great meal. not lead with, I'm just going to tell you something. If you go to that restaurant, if you don't eat the, 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 the leftovers right after, or you don't stick them in the fridge, it'll make you as sick as a dog. Like, how, Why would you say that to somebody? You're going to go and you're going to say, I love this restaurant. I get this thing. And it is so good. You've got to go try it. And yet sometimes we get things backwards in the church and we, we want to lead with it. But you might go to hell. And, and Jesus is like, hell? Like, I'm right here. Like This thing I want you to tell them, I want you to tell them how good this is. Now, I think it's wise for you to know that if you leave your leftovers out on the, the counter... You probably ought to not eat them the next day. <laughs> I think it's wise to know, and that's a part of just doing life and adulting. And, and, and that's a part of the church, and it's a reality of the spiritual condition of brokenness in the world, and, and people need to know. But we don't lead with that. We lead with what is good. God wants us to engage the world, and He wants us to be witnesses about the things that are good. In Genesis chapter 22, it tells us that this was always the plan. This ministry of reconciliation. Reconciling people to each other and us being reconciled to God. Genesis 22.17 says, this is, this is God talking to Abraham. I will surely bless you. I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars in heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. The plan has always been reconciliation. 
from the very moment that the serpent entered into the garden and whispered in their ear, the plan was always reconciliation. When we look at how God has has worked throughout all of the Old and New Testament and how He says He's going to work in the future, He is working towards a path of reconciliation for people to be reconciled to Himself and for humanity to be reconciled with each other. As we think about what would that world be like, I mean, I, I think it would be wrong to try to imagine the world like if sin had never entered into it. I think it would be wrong to imagine that the world would have been without conflict. I think there still would have been conflict. But what if the moment conflict arose, we were able to deal with it? And the moment that we wronged someone, we were compelled to ask for forgiveness. And the moment they wronged us, they were not only compelled to ask us for for forgiveness, but we were compelled to forgive them. How would our relationships today be different? How would they be different? In this world and in this reality, this is what He wants from us, is to be a partner with Him to reconcile the world back to Himself. We jump to 2 Corinthians 5. This is where I want to spend a little, little more time unpacking what is being said here. 2 Chronicles chapter 5, verse 14 says, For the love of Christ controls us. And there's a lot just right there. It is the love of Christ, not the judgment of Christ. It is the love of Christ, not the expectation of Christ. It is the love of Christ that controls us, doesn't make suggestions, but controls us. There is a part of knowing and following Jesus on this way in which His love should control us. And if something else is going to control me other than what I would control myself, there is a place where I have to give up control. In some ways, we talk about that in terms of surrender or Him being our God, our King, our Lord of Lords. Submission is another word that comes to mind and it's a word that one of the reasons that people do reject this whole thing because there's something within me that doesn't want to submit. There's something that in me wants to always be right. There's something that ends that is in me that makes me always want to win. As you get older and as you make more mistakes, you recognize there are times you win, but ultimately you've lost. Then you start recognizing that the drives that you have in life sometimes lead to really terrible consequences, but you never even thought about those things. They did anyways. When we allow the love of Christ to control us, our way of doing life is supplanted by His way of doing life. And if we see that as burdensome, we're probably not going to follow in this way. But if we have found that it is good, then it will propel us because it was good. It was good. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And He died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for Him who for their sake died and was raised. Talking about Jesus. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard Him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, He is a new creation. That's you. I'm talking about you. talking about me. We are are something 
other than what we were before. Old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this, verse 18, is from God who through Christ reconciled us to Himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So right here, we, we have two sides of this reconciliation coin. There are really three, but, but the first two sides are this. Number one, we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We are, until we are reconciled with Him, Scripture says, enemies with God. And it is through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and our saying this is good and wanting for Him to be the atonement for our sins that we are reconciled with God. It did not happen in full without Jesus. But there's also the other side of that coin in which now now that we are reconciled with God, we are partners with God in the very thing that He sought to do with us, which is now reconcile the rest of the world. This ministry of reconciliation. This is the way of engagement. This is the way of Christ. And this is what He's calling us to, although not all of us in the exact same way. But wherever we are. Verse 19, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to Himself. All the way back to Genesis, this is the story. Not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, which is pretty significant. Because He's basically saying, all right, I'm going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to be with you and I'm going to help you but if this is going to happen, you're going to be the ones to make it happen. Now, I'm going to partner with you as you go out and do this. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does. I'm going to partner with you. I'm going to convict the world of sin. I am going to convict them of what is true. But they're going to need you to go out and tell them that this is good and this is how you can have it too. That's what we partner with Him to do. Remember when I first got saved, it was such a, a huge moment for me, and I, I just remember it was, I, I, I've never forgotten that event. It was a time in my life that I just felt like I have tried to do things my way, and it is, it is just imploding spectacularly. And I just needed, I needed something. Growing up in the church, I knew all the things, but I didn't know the things, you know? And I remember when I, I came to faith in Christ, the last thing on my mind was anybody else. The only person on my mind was me. And I wasn't thinking, God, I just want to join you on your mission to reconcile the world to yourself. Like, not only was that not on my mind, um, once I, once I had, had really come to, to faith in Christ and people started saying, now you need to go tell other people, I was like, uh, can, we just, can we just work on me for now? <laughs> like, I'll worry about them later. Right now, I just need to work on me. And I think that's probably a shared characteristic of a lot of people who come to faith in Christ. Like I just, that's too hard for me to even imagine. Or you had that friend, and you know they were always up in your face about Jesus, and you're like, I'm not going to be that. I don't want to be that. And you're trying to figure out how to live this out. When we come to faith in Christ. There is a moment of reconciliation with God that is us and Him. It is us and Him. Us and Him. There are other people likely that have been a part of bringing us to this moment, but it is us and Him. It is not me and everybody else. You have to come to understand what this is about to understand this is about not just me and God, but me and God and everybody else too. That takes some time. Initially, when we come to faith in Christ, 
most every one of us is going to be focused on me and God, me and God, me and God. And, and, and Paul is saying here, this is an important part of reconciliation. You as an individual are reconciled with God. If your parents did it, that doesn't mean that you yourself are reconciled with God. If a good friend of yours did it, doesn't mean that you are reconciled with God. Each of us have to make a decision in our own lives. I want to be reconciled with God. I want to surrender my life to Him. I want to submit control of my life from me to Him. This is what I want. It's a very individualized experience. But as you grow in understanding this goodness of who God is and what He's doing in the world and has been doing for all of history and for the rest of history, at least until Jesus returns, He's going to want us to partner with Him. And He's had all kinds of partners in the Bible. He partnered with Abraham. He partnered with Moses. He partnered with the judges and the prophets. He partnered with Jesus. And now He's wanting to partner with us. God has always been seeking partners to do the work that He's always wanted, which was to bring us back in relationship with Him to experience this life the way we were supposed to. The kind that says, I'm hungry. No, you're not. I've got enough. I've got extra. I need a job. Hey, I've got got some work you can do. Things are falling apart in my life. I I don't know what to do. Okay, we're here. How can we help? You know, there's a part of life that just gets hard and difficult, and we just need other people to come alongside of us. Typically within the church, when we begin to fall off the wagon, the very first thing we do is begin to separate ourselves from other people because we don't want them to know. I'm dealing with this. This is my thing. I don't want them to judge me. I don't want them to think poorly of me. And so I'm just going to separate myself from the very group of people that can actually bring new life and help and deal with these things. But what we are first tempted to do is just separate. And maybe we separate by we just stop showing up or... Are we just stop returning calls? Or people that were friends are just not friends anymore? Yet part of this thing that God has been doing from the very beginning is reconciling us with Him and each other because each other is a part of His plan for a good eternal life. Christ reconciled Himself to us and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is Christ God in reconciling the world to Himself, not counting their trespasses against them, Oh, I've lost my plate. There we go. And entrusting to us the message of reconciliation, verse 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. That is the Great Commission, by the way. Jesus phrased it a little differently, but Paul just basically given us the Great Commission. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. There is a part of this reconciliation that is between us and God as individuals. There is a part of this reconciliation that is us as a community. But I want to jump down just real quickly to go through Matthew 5. We went through this when we went through the Sermon on the Mount, so I don't want to preach this all over again. But I do want you to again to see how important reconciliation is to God, both with Him and with each other. Verse 21, it says, You have heard it is said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. 
First, be reconciled to your brother, then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard, and you be put in prison. Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. I don't want us to miss the significance of this if we are honestly serious about following Jesus. That There's a moment that if we come to worship and we're holding something against others, he says, I, I, you need to hold that worship until you deal with this problem with others. This is the third side of the coin. I know coins only have two sides, but this one has three. This is the third side of the coin. Side number one is our reconciliation to God as an individual act. Number two, as a community in which we are being reconciled together, that humanity is more going to mimic what God intended. And number three, if within the body of Christ and outside, I would say, to the body of Christ, if we look at others and we are just harboring anger and unforgiveness, it is the exact thing as if you had gone to murder them and you need to deal with that before you try coming to me. I mean, that's pretty significant. God saying, yeah, I, I want this to be about us, but I want this to be about us. And that's one thing we often miss in kind of the contemporary modern church is we, we think about everything individualized experience, but what God is saying is, no, 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 no. This is, this is way bigger than that. That's, that's one of the reasons we like to, to partner with other churches and do things with other churches. Because it's not just about us in this room, it's also about us with every other church in Chattanooga. And it's not just about every other church in Chattanooga, it's about every other group or body of believers around the world who have ever existed or will ever exist. The body of Christ cannot be held in one room. This reconciliation is incredibly important for the way that we're going to live. There is a way that we engage the world and we engage the world towards reconciliation. Here's, here's kind of what I want to leave you with. If you're taking notes, if you're not, it's all right. Your relationship with others is a direct reflection of your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you're holding things against other people. God is going to say to you, go deal with that first before you come to me. Kind of like when your kids come to you and they're paddling, and they're mad at each other. They're wanting to tell you what the other did, and, and, and what do you say, good parent? Uh, you need to go deal with that yourself. I mean, sometimes maybe you've got to step in, but a lot of times what we find, especially as the kids get older, is it's like, you, you need to go deal with that yourself. I am not going to deal with all your all's issues. You've got to go deal with this yourself. And that's what God is saying. You need to go work this out. Don't come and tell me how much you love me, you want to worship me, and how I'm all everything for you when you won't even go to the person you're holding something against and forgive them. I mean, he says over and over in Scripture, don't come to me asking me to forgive you for your sins when you can't wait to hold somebody else's sins against them. That's a part of the aspect of the relationship that we have with others. It is so crucially important. Those three sides again. Number one, we are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. We as individuals reconciled to God through Jesus Christ collectively as well. We are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. The second side, Jesus instructed all his followers to take up the ministry of reconciliation for others. 
Number three, if we do not seek reconciliation with others, we cannot approach God freely. And he says the way we live our life really does matter. It really does matter. And in a belief-centric world where we just talk about what we're supposed to believe, Jesus would say, yeah, beliefs matter, but actions matter more. What you do with those beliefs, that's what really matters. Yeah, but I believe we should love everybody. Yeah, but if you don't love others, you don't really believe it. And in part, well, in whole, this is our ministry. There are lots of parts to that ministry. There are lots of ways we can do that. But this is our ministry as a church. It is the way of engagement. It is the way of reconciliation, both for ourselves, for us as a community, and for those that are not yet reconciled with God. That is, that is the plan. That has always been the plan. That is the the big story of what God has been doing in Scripture. We follow the way of Jesus when we engage the world with the Gospel. Jesus talks about that as being a city on a hill. Being salt and light. When we were kids, we used to sing about this. Hide it under a bushel. No. I'm going to let it shine. I recognize... This preach is good, really good. Like, this is a good sermon. I'm just not going to lie. I might put this up and let other people hear it and say, hey, you should hear this sermon by this great preacher. I won't tell them it's me. I'll just tell them it was a great sermon, right? It's a great sermon. It preaches well. But living it, man, it's, that's a whole other ballgame, isn't it? Because people don't particularly like, like us right now. I mean, I can't, I can't even look at the news. <laughs> without finding another Christian who's done something really horrible in the name of Jesus. And the world's like, yeah, you bunch of hypocrites. And, I mean, we can say things like, uh, oh, and I've said this. I'm totally guilty of this. Yeah, we're all hypocrites. You know? Yeah, I mean, Jesus loves the hypocrite. But when we do the kinds of things that Christians are doing in the world, all saying that they love Jesus... There's a reason that the world looks at us with a lot of questions. I don't believe you. I don't, why do I want that God? Because I see how, how some of you treat other people, and, and I think I do a better job at treating people well than I've seen some of you people do, and you say you love Jesus. And you say Jesus loves them, but then you tell them how terrible they are, and they really ought to go to hell. That's why we don't lead with hell. Like, I ought to go to hell. Right? Now let's just tell the whole story. I ought to go to hell. It is by the grace of God that I don't. It is by the grace of God that God may have put me in their life, not to tell them they're going to go to hell, but to tell them, you know what? There is a God who created all this. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and He loves you, and He loved me. And, and I'm, just, I'm just telling you, He wants more than anything for you to know Him and to be loved by Him and to open up what life could be like like if we all followed him, it would be spectacular. I mean, our idea of heaven is is, is where it, what life would look like if we all just followed Jesus the way Jesus and did did it the way Jesus did it. it literally, we would be like, we don't need heaven after we die because we got it right here, right now. And I know it's hard to go out and tell those things. I also know it's hard when Christianity seems to be under attack and. And everything you hold dear, others seem to 
you know, dismiss or diminish or just say, you know, that's, that's not worth anything. And, and you want to defend God and you want to defend Jesus and you want to stand up and say, oh yeah, oh yeah, you know, kind of like when somebody picks on your brother or sister. I mean, you can pick on them all day long, but when somebody else does, now you're ready to fight. If you love Jesus and someone's really trash-talking Jesus, it's, un- it's understandable that there's something within you that makes you want to fight. This is not the way of reconciliation. But it is the way the church has gone. What does it really look like for us to love others? As a church, we've been talking about... Um, you know, we sent some surveys out. Um, we have a group of people that are meeting talking about what does... What does the church look like in 2030, not just in 2023 or 2024, but what does it look like in 2030, which means a massive change in the, in the membership of the church. As um, In the next 10 years, we're going to just see a massive move of a whole lot of Gen Z coming in and a whole lot of uh, others moving out. They view the world differently. And in some ways, they view the world the way that we cause them to view the world. And some of those were not good ways of viewing the world. So we have to talk about what does it look like to be the church, which means to go back to what has this all been supposed to have been about all, already. Now, how does it look like to be that expression today? In the surveys, the number one thing that people said they were looking for at our church is community. And the thing that they wish they were experiencing more of are deeper relationships with each other. That's the number one thing that came up in the surveys. And so we've talked about that. And the the discipleship team echoed those and said, you know what? Uh, We feel it too. We feel like, you know, since we've come back from COVID, it just, things are harder and different. And some of the people that were here aren't here anymore. Now there's a bunch of new people that that we don't even know them. And, and, and if you're new to Journey, you come in kind of hoping to get to know people. And, but some of us are still struggling just to, just to have relationships with other people. We've gotten so used to not doing that. Part of this engagement is the way we engage each other in this room, how we engage each other when we're not in this room, how we welcome guests when they walk in the door, how we do discipleship. And that's something that, that we're, we're just kind of walking through and struggling with. And, how do we do that? I, I just want to encourage you that a big part of our purpose of the church moving forward is our ability to grow closer as a community, not grow bigger. I mean, there's a lot of people in here, like not compared to some places, but I think there's a lot of people in here. It's not like we need to get more people in here before we can grow closer. We need to grow closer so that if someone comes, they're coming into something that looks like this ministry of reconciliation. I mean, we need to know what's going on in each other's lives. I mean, it's, scripture goes so far as to say, like, we should know each other's deepest, darkest sins and secrets. I mean, that's that's the kind of transparency he wants the body of Christ to be, because it's those deepest, darkest secrets that still trap us and still mess up our lives and our relationships. Get that stuff out. We don't do that because we're afraid somebody's going to judge us. We're afraid they're going to think less of us. But once we recognize, gosh, my sins are as bad or worse than yours. And you know, this reconciliation thing, like when we help each other get through this stuff, we forgive each other, and we move on, and, and we let those things go, oh, that is so good. I want more of that. I just want more of that. 
That's what Jesus wants in, in the body. Some of the things we're going to be doing in the, in the coming weeks is, is finding ways to say, hey, we, we need to demonstrate to each other we matter to each other and we want to get to know each other. Today, you hopefully prayed for somebody that you didn't know in the room. Or maybe you did know them, but not real well. You prayed for them. You know, you can do that any day, any time of any day. This ministry of reconciliation, this is, this is what youth ministry comes under. This is what discipleship ministry comes under. Kids ministry comes under. We're seeking to reconcile people to God and to each other. There's an educational component. You need to know some stuff. You need to know what this is about. You need to know what Jesus did. You know who Jesus is. There's an educational component about it. But the goal is not that we're educated. The goal is that we're living this out. And I'm just going to tell you, it's uncomfortable. This is hard. Well, it doesn't happen very often. Some of you in the room, you're good at it. Like, you sit in a room full of people and, like, don't talk. Like, right now, don't talk to anybody. Just sit and listen. And you, you're about to go nuts. Like, you're, i got to talk to somebody. I'm so sick of listening to this guy. He won't stop talking. He just keeps talking about stuff. But I need to go talk. I need to go talk to somebody. But a lot of you are like, I wish he would just keep going because when I leave and get up out of this seat, I'm going to have to talk to somebody on my way out. I mean, I know that feeling. There's some uncomfortable steps we're going to have to take to get to know each other. And I just I've had the pleasure of getting to know so many of you. I, I look forward to you getting to know each other because we really have some just really wonderful. My last thing, and for my detractors who say I say that and then I talk for 20 more minutes, this really is my last thing. My, my app is updating, by the way, so I lost my notes. Not nice when that happens. Kind of like a skunk I hit last night. These things just happened to me, and God's teaching me something. I'm not sure what, but I got notes on the back. Last thing, we experience and live out the gospel of being to God in a new and better way of life, and we tell others about how good this life is, how good this God is, and how they can have it too. This is the ministry of reconciliation. This is evangelism. They have a good God. They have a good life. And they can have it too. So let's live it out and enjoy it. Let's tell other people about it too. This is the way of engagement. We can start with ourselves in the room. We can spread out from here. This needs to be the way that we follow.